quite unusual. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Quite Unusual podcast. We will be your waiters for the evening. I am Noelle. And I am Nicole. And we are serving up a piping hot bowl <laughs> of true crime with a side of unsolved mystery. And I don't know, I'm thinking like a really good rustic bread with like some really salty, delicious butter. Mm. Mm, now I'm hungry. So me too. Thank God I have this champagne in a can to fill my stomach. <laughs> yeah, let's just let's just eat that for dinner. Yeah. Perfect. Um, Nicole. Yes. Should we tell everyone our really great news? Uh, yeah, let's tell them. Let's tell them. Are you sure? Let's do it. We're doing it. Let the cat out of the bag. <laughs> the cat's out of the bag. All right. We hired an intern. We did. Uh, her name is Killian. Mm. Her name is Killian Marie. Killian Marie. She is just a tiny, small, little orange kitty cat. And she's honestly doing a very good job. We, You know what? We did. We We hired an intern. She's doing very well. She always faxes my memos on time, and I've only caught her on her own personal Instagram once. So she does need a little more practice with our coffee orders, but, I mean, other than that, she is the cat's meow. Dang. Pun intended. She is a top-notch ghost hunter. Mm, yes. She's totally managing our social media accounts, totally. and I am grateful. Any. If you DM us, it's Killian responding. So. It's always going to be Killian. It's always Killian from now on. She also gave us the idea for this week's episode because she often tries to pick up an axe and murder me in my sleep. Naturally. So she was the inspiration. Naturally. Just kidding. It was actually <laughs> our friend Kathleen that suggested this one. It was. And shout out to Kathleen, who is our favorite Alaskan. She is. And also, she told me that she got into the Berlin Marathon. Oh? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. She's a huge runner. Yeah. wonder what. God bless her. That's like, um, so killing it, Kathleen. Killing it, Kathleen. suggested we do this. Um, for this week's episode, we are going to talk about the unsolved Hinterkaifeck axe murders. Yes. Possibly Germany's most famous unsolved mystery. It also gives me big, big in cold blood vibes, which is mm. one of my all-time favorite books and verbs. <laughs> and verbs. In Cold Blood is my favorite book of all time. And Philip Seymour Hoffman, one of my all-time favorite actors, oh, yeah. won the Oscar for Best Actor in his phenomenal portrayal of Truman Capote in the movie Capote. He deserved it. Which is a great movie, by the way. And I feel like somehow I always end up talking about or suggesting a movie each episode because... That's who I am as a person. So I guess this episode, my suggestion is the movie Capote. So everyone watch that. Um, Yeah. Very good book in Cold Blood. Yep. Very good actor. The late Philip Seymour uh, Hoffman. R.I.P. Truly. R.I.P. Gone too soon. Yeah. Uh, very good movie. Capote. Very good. And also movies are like the backbone of our lives. We talk about movies constantly. Yeah. Um, so we can't not be talking about that. <laughs> it's very true. Yeah, it's like lifeblood, you know. So, mm -hmm. speaking of getting in cold-blooded, if you're unfamiliar with the case, get ready to get familiar, because we're getting into it. So, shprek and see dick. Three, two, one. Level up. You did it. I did it. I liked it. I leveled up. We just all leveled up just now. Leveled up. We didn't, we weren't mixing any protein powder into no. a drink, but we all leveled up. So, what did we if we weren't mixing protein powder? Ooh. 
That yeah. is the question of the night. I think we're just seeing, seeing where we are. Stagnant. Yeah. All right. Let's do the thing. So first, I have to say that I was reading an article titled Bodies in the Barn. Okay. <laughs> um, and I couldn't stop singing it in like a true drowning pool fashion. So that was completely useless information. But I feel like that's probably stuck in some of our listeners' heads mm. now. And I think that's hilarious. So I'm sorry, but also you're welcome. Every episode, I relate something to a movie. And every episode, you come up with a new song relating to our topic. Because oh. it's who we are. It's who we are. Um, and question for you. Can you sample the song for us, by chance? I just start with get the bodies <laughs> find the bodies in the barn yeah. find the bodies in the barn find the bodies in the barn yay that was cute that was kind of cute also i'm a really bad singer but i like to sing and that's the yeah. worst kind of person <laughs> everyone everyone should sing doesn't matter if you're good or bad oh this is like an episode of sesame street yeah all right well Let's actually talk about what we're talking about. Yeah, we probably should. I want to do like tons and tons of German accents, but I'm going to try to stifle it a what? little bit. Come on. Give the people what they want. I've been listening to 99 Loof Balloons all day, <laughs> so I'm trying to like tone it back a little bit. I love that song. So good. Also, we will mispronounce things. Yeah. So just a little, I guess, disclaimer here. It's very hard to try to find how to pronounce words online because there are like 12 different ways to say them mm -hmm. there's like the american way there's the german way it's hard man yeah it's very hard so we're trying our best if you are a german if you sprechen she dick um <laughs> hit us up and let us know what we said wrong what we didn't say wrong yeah okay all right let's go so, the year is 1922 in Germany, good old Mama Deutschland, was going through some stuff, you know, like having like an, like a moment. Yeah. Yeah. Communism was on the rise. Uh, the Treaty of Versailles was recently signed, which Ooh. basically means that Germany had to promise to chill and like just be peaceful for like a minute. Which, well, we know how that mm, turned out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but they signed it for now. The economy was in a very precarious position due to the drop in value of the German mark, which is their currency, and mm -hmm. also just a guy. And <laughs> by the end of the previous year, prices for everything were on the rise, along with unrest sprouting up internally through the country. So they were having not the best time ever. Not the best moment. No, a moment. Mm. But, but not the best. No, not the best one. Mm. Let's zero in on a little farm nestled between the towns of Ingolstadt and Schrobenhausen. Sounds right to me. Yes. In the southern part of Bavaria, Germany. They have the best donuts there. <laughs> I've never been. <laughs> I don't know, but I love a Bavarian donut. Who doesn't? Approximately 70 kilometers <laughs> or 43 miles north of Munich. This is in a little town called Groben of Josh fame, studded by <laughs> dense forests, endless rolling hills, and isolated farms. One farm in particular was unofficially named Hinterkaifeck. I always thought that's what it was called. Unofficially? It was not actually officially named that. Who named it that? It's just like what they called it. Everyone just decided one day that we were all going to call this Hinterkaifeck? Sort of. Okay. Yeah. So hinter means behind, like think hinterlands. What is a hinterland? It's the land behind the land. 
Oh, you yeah. never heard the term hinterland? No, I have not. Really? Yeah. I say a lot of words you don't know. I, know. I feel like I talk like an old timey person. I feel or something. stupid. <laughs> no, no, no. I think I talk like an old timey guy. Okay. I'm like I have like a mustache and like one of those eyeglasses, like the single ones. Anyways, um, so yeah, hinterlands are like the lands beyond the lands. Okay. Or just like an area that's sort of out of sight. And then Kaifak or Kaifak. I say Kaifak. I do not know if it's K or Kai. Kaifak. Hinter. I say Hinter Kaifak. Whatever. That's what I'm saying. We're going to go with it. I'm owning it. Okay. So a Kaifak means sort of like a hamlet, which is also like a little village. So this farmstead is behind a little village. Okay. Hinter Kaifak. This is a very long way of saying what I just said. What the place is. <laughs> But that's what it is, and that's kind of what it was called. And on this little farm, in the spring of 1922, lived the Gruber family. Among them, Hans Gruber, an internationally feared terrorist, and the natural enemy of John McClane. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. <laughs> Hans Gruber did not live with the Grubers. I just wanted to make that clear for everyone. He is a fictional character. What? Yeah, I'm sorry. sorry. I did the wrong research. Sorry to burst your diehard bubble, but I do love me some Alan Rickman, though. Oh, yeah. So R.I.P. Professor Snape. 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 Silver is Snape. <laughs> right. So wrong Gruber, but let's talk about yeah. the right Grubers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they're not right. They're also wrong, but these are other Grubers. So this was the home of Andreas Gruber, age 63. He was the father for all intents and purposes. Mm-hmm. His wife... We're gonna say, I'm gonna say, Katzelia. It's spelled C A with an umlaut, love an umlaut, Z I L I A. We listened to so many YouTube videos on how to say this. I'm going Katzelia. I'm gonna go Sitzelia. All right, I respect that. <laughs> this is the matriarch for all intents and purposes. She was 72 years old. Their daughter, Victoria, who was 35 years old, she was a widow. And Victoria's children, Katzelia named after her mama, who was seven, and Yosef, who was two. There was also a maid that lived with the family. Her name was Crescens Rieger. So Hinterkaifeck Farm was built between 1862 and 1864. It was made out of stone and it had clay roofing tiles. I was not able to confirm who owned the farm. Some sources said that Victoria owned the farm at the time. Mm -hmm. And then others said that the elder groupers did. I feel like it doesn't actually matter. I believe it was the Grubers because the older, the elder Grubers, because when they passed, there was a fight between who was going to get the farm. We'll just say that it was the elder Grubers because I guess yeah. that's what it ended up being in right. the court and it of would, law. And it would make sense for them to own it instead of a widowed, you know, mm-hmm. widowed that's woman. True. Well, the closest neighbor to this farm of the wooded woman was half a kilometer or about a quarter of a mile away at the end of a long dirt road. So not super far, but not super close. This neighboring farm belonged to Lawrence Schlitzenbauer, who is my favorite character in this because I love his name so much. <laughs> and he will be important in a moment. So we'll get right back to him. The house and the barn were laid out in an L shape with a stable slash barn sitting at a 90 degree angle to the house. This was separated by a dividing wall. The house was a one-story building with an attic, and the attic extended across the entire building. So it went from one end, made a right turn, and then to the other end. 
So this would allow anyone inside of the attic to move freely above the house section and also the barn section. Which is another important thing. Yeah, you're going to want to remember that. You know what? Take a moment, draw a diagram, (laughs) okay, if you have the paper. Just do that or just Google it, I guess. Unless you're driving, then then draw a diagram, okay? The stable slash barn could be accessed through the residential part of this building, the house, as well as through the outside. There was a large open yard with a tool shed, a bakery, and a laundry area, and a well house across from the main house. So it was another little building. So many building situations happening on this. Yes. But the main one we hear about is this L shaped building where they live and also their critters live. Cool. Yeah. The Gruba family was known to mostly keep to themselves. They were religious never missing weekend church services i did find that most people in the area were catholic oh but it never specified what the grubers were Mm. and fun fact the children were not baptized which seems strange so i'm gonna say they probably weren't catholic yeah they were catholic right yeah but they were religious they were also well to do by the standards at the time they were regarded as very frugal by the neighbors, and honestly, they were not very popular in their community. <laughs> People did not love them. I saw a few places that go as far as saying that they were extremely disliked in the community. Yeah, I read that too. <laughs> yeah. The Groomer family was hardworking, and they would lend advice when it came to business affairs, but they were not social by any stretch. They never, ever had guests in their house, and they were never considered to be anyone's actual friend, only acquaintance. Yeah, they sort of just kept to themselves. Yeah, well, you'll find out why. Yeah. This, however, is with the exception of two of the Gruber women, who were actually, they had the last name Gabriel. But Gruber women. Victoria Gabriel, who used to be Victoria Gruber, the daughter, um, and her daughter, Katselia. Katsilia was a young girl. She attended school in the nearby town. She had friends. She was just a totally normal little girl. Mm -hmm. Not disliked like the rest of the family, just a regular child. And then Victoria was also said to be very kind and very friendly. She was a part of the church choir, and she was also just friendly with people in the neighborhood and her peers. Right. Victoria, as I mentioned earlier, was a widow. She was married to a man named Carl Gabriel, Carl with a K. I love that about German. (laughs) It's so German. It's so German. They were married in 1914. Victoria had a very, very harsh childhood. It was common knowledge among the town that her father raped her repeatedly (sighs) from a young age. She married Carl as a way to escape her father's grasp, but unfortunately, it didn't work. Andreas her father, the elder Gruber, insisted the couple live at the farm, so she never got to escape. Yeah, that's terrible. Carl had then been drafted into World War One when Victoria was eight months pregnant with their first child, who would come to be named Katsilia. He was considered missing in action just four months after he entered the war, but his body was never recovered. People claimed to have seen him die, but his body was never returned to Germany. In January of 1915, Victoria gave birth to her first baby, Katsilia. 
Andreas did the weirdest thing that I've ever heard of, and he made sure that he was named the legal guardian of the child. Well, yeah, because he was a control freak dickhead. There is speculation that this child might be a product of incest and rape, but there is no proof of that. Right. And I mean, it was early 1900s, so you couldn't really get proof. No. In May of that year, a servant at the farm walked in on Andreas raping his daughter, and the servant immediately went to the police. Both Andreas and Victoria were charged with incest. Andreas was given a year in prison while Victoria served a single month. Imagine being raped by your father and then having to serve jail time for it. That is the most messed up thing in the world to it's, me. It's absolutely messed up. Yeah. There was like a rumor in town that they were like romantically involved. <sighs> Not that it was just incest. Yeah, of course. Like, of course yeah. it was. Which is so fucked up. Yeah. This was huge news in the area because this was confirmation. Mm -hmm. And then they became that incest family, you know, like pushing them further into the dislike category as far as the neighbors were concerned. Like we knew we didn't like them, but now we know why we don't like them. Now we know we don't like them. Yeah. And as an abuser does, Andreas began abusing again once he was released from jail. Of course. He just continued sexually assaulting his daughter and never ever learned his lesson. Victoria started dating the neighbor, Lawrence, who we talked about earlier, in an attempt to once again escape her circumstances. Lawrence was previously married and he had two children, two sons, I think, Mm -hmm. Uh, but his wife had passed away. The two decided to marry with Lawrence asking and Victoria agreeing in an instant. Duh. Got to. Yeah. Then Victoria got pregnant with her second child, who would come to be called Joseph. She said that the baby was Lorenz's, and for a while he agreed with that, until the issue of monetary support was raised. Then Lorenz started claiming that the baby was Andreas's and was a product of incest, because he didn't want to pay child support, I guess. Messy. This whole situation is messy, and we do not have firm facts. Right. The two men got into a very heated argument over paternity, both claiming that they were not the father, and it ended with Andreas pulling a weapon on Lorenz. Andreas then forbade Victoria from ever marrying again and locked her in a wardrobe for a while. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know if that was to teach her a lesson or like to hide her from Lorenz. Probably both. But it's fucked, dude. Yeah. Lawrence then called the police to tell them that Andreas and Victoria were in an incestuous relationship and that Joseph's real father was Andreas. Yeah, big yikes. Yeah. But to be fair to Lawrence, this wasn't the first time that this type of rumor had popped up and they kind of had some proof. Right. I mean, you don't just stop raping your daughter. I think the situation here is that the system and the police failed poor Victoria. Well, that's but the only time that that's ever happened. The only Luckily. time. Andreas had been convicted of crimes against morality, which is just a fancy way of saying that he was raping his daughter a lot. Yeah, disgusting. Yeah, and he was held in custody for two weeks until Lorenz retracted his claims, and then they just, like, all forgot about it. Of course they did. Yeah. Lorenz would later claim that Victoria's family had paid him to call the police, but this cannot be confirmed. Lawrence went on to marry another woman, and then I guess the relationship between him and Victoria was just kind of dead and Mm. buried. Sad. 
Poor Victoria. Call me crazy here, but Mm -hmm. I feel like one of two things is going on here in this town. Right. Either one, people are claiming that this family partakes in incest because they are quiet and they keep to themselves. And obviously, I mean, people have to talk. Uh, Right. Or two, there is a capital R rape situation. Yes. And yes, Andreas is very guilty of incest, but Victoria is a victim and she is very innocent in all this creepy ass shit and is not like a mutual agreement. Oh, for sure. 100% going with number two. I mean, it's not a rumor a maid found them together. Right. So we know that he's doing it to her. It just makes me so sad. Yeah. Andreas was also known to be abusive, or I guess at least borderline abusive, but I'm just going to go full on abusive. Mm. It was rumored that he beat the shit out of his wife all the time and his children. He was extremely stern, very demanding, and very strict. Obviously also very controlling. Mm -hmm. We know that Andreas and Cecilia had at least one other child, and it's speculated that they had many other children. But they had died young. And then this one that we're talking about now that we can confirm died at the age of two. Wait, so they had more children than just Victoria and they all passed? Yes. Okay. But there's only one confirmed and then the others are just like rumored. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So this one died at the age of two. And the neighbors had reported hearing the children being locked in the cellar for days on end. What? Yeah. They would hear the screams of children coming out of their cellar. What? They never did anything about it? No, man. It was like the 1900s in Germany. Don't ask, don't tell? Yeah. I can't confirm the cause of death for this child, and I just couldn't find it. I looked everywhere. But we can definitely speculate what happened. I feel like two seems way late to die from some kind of weird baby disease where they just, like, die for no reason. Like, infant mortality-wise. Oh, well, yeah, that. So I'm going to say that two years old was just straight up abuse yeah but i mean think of it back in the day you could die from just a common cold in the 1900s but it could have been because he was being kept in a cellar Mm -hmm. i feel like the child was either starved or like beaten maybe or like worked to death or something weird yeah none are great options but andreas was known to be cruel and very violent I don't know. It's just like compounding of awfulness from this man. Yeah, he's just a terrible person. So I'm going to say he killed this baby. Okay. Okay. I think you can make that assumption from him. (laughs) Thank you so much. You're welcome. The Groovers had a maid, which we mentioned earlier, Crescens Rager. For months, she claimed that she had been hearing disembodied footsteps in the house, especially coming from the attic. Spooky. Yeah. Along with this, she also heard disembodied voices. And absolutely no one believed her. You know who else hears disembodied footsteps in their attic? Who? You. Please don't point at me that way. (laughs) I'm just saying, the similarities, they're there. Am I going to get fucking in cold blood? I'm I'm just trying to freak you out, sorry. (laughs) Already freaked. Perfect. Well, this housekeeper was absolutely convinced that the house was completely haunted, and she wanted absolutely none of this. So she quit in September of 1921. Once the housekeeper quit, Andreas also began hearing footsteps and voices. Because this lady wasn't making it up. Right. She quit because of it. Obviously, she was scared. Yeah. Good for her, dude. I'm so glad. Yeah. She lived to, like, 2005 or something. Holy shit. Yeah. I found her obituary. It's pretty cool. Damn. Mm Mm-hmm. This also wasn't the only strange thing that happened on the farm. 
On March 25th of 1922, a child named Sophie Fuchs... Fox. Fox. Sophie Fox. <laughs> and her mother were walking through the woods near the Hinterkaifeck farm when they heard a woman sobbing very, very loudly. They came across Victoria sitting on the side of the road having a just a total breakdown. She was doing that weird thing where you cry so hard that you just hyperventilate and like you can't talk. Yeah. Like for real though. <laughs> yeah, that was 100% her. They tried to comfort her, but she wouldn't or I guess couldn't tell them what happened. She was going to throw up. Yeah, she was going to throw up and she did. She just kept repeating the phrase, I need to run away oh, over and over honey. and over. The mother and daughter convinced Victoria to go home, and they offered to walk her to the farm. Supposedly, the event that sparked this breakdown, as told by Victoria's friends, was the appearance of a stranger in army fatigues that showed up at the farmhouse and just started watching the family from afar. That would probably bother me, too. Also, the fact that her father was her father, and he was a huge piece of shit. He's a big raper. Yeah, yeah, that would make me cry too. Right? <laughs> oh, probably every day. Every day. So none of the causes can be confirmed, but I just think that that's a little bit interesting. On March thirtieth, Andreas found a strange newspaper in the house, or some sources say that it was on the porch of the house. I tried so hard to find what made this newspaper strange. I looked for a photo of it for (laughs) what this newspaper was. I wanted to know so bad, Uh but I couldn't find an exact reason. So we can speculate that this was either something not widely available in the area, or maybe it was in another language, or Mm. I don't know, something like that. Like this was a newspaper that no one subscribed to, and then all of a sudden it was here. Yeah. But every member of the family denied that the paper belonged to them. Right. I think it was exactly that i think it was just that no one had bought it or said it was theirs and Mm -hmm. it just showed up one day so everyone was like where the hell did this come from right and several days before this a set of keys had gone missing Hmm. and then the creepiest part is that andreas found a set of footprints in the snow leading from the woods behind the house but none going back where they came so they're just like walking one single set of footprints, like Jesus is fucking carrying you, yeah. from the woods to the house, and then that's it. Can I tell a really scary story? Yeah. Um, so about, I want to say maybe like three years ago, it was close to when I had just first moved in. I'm in a townhouse, so mm-hmm. there are people on either side of me, but my back door, now I have a fence. Before I, when I first moved in, I didn't. And... It had snowed because it obviously snows in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I was looking out my uh, second floor window and I saw a pair of footsteps going from each person's back door <gasps> to my back door to the next back door as if somebody had come and was trying to see if doors were open. Shut up. It was the scariest thing that has ever happened to what me. What did you do? I made sure I locked my door every single night and then I got a fence wow yeah because my backyard sort of backs up into kind of a busy street so i i don't know why somebody would be i mean they would be seen there's right. a busy street but it was footprints as if somebody went to my neighbor's back door tried to open it then walked to my back door, back door tried to open it and then my other neighbor's back door and tried to open it like so like either side wow. there were footsteps leading to 
each of our back doors. Dude, I'm so glad you didn't get in cold in the same Yeah, in the same pattern. It was it was very, very scary. That's terrifying. Yeah. That's the scariest story you've ever told me. I know. <laughs> well, probably like you did, Andreas made a search of the house to make sure no one was in there to murder him. Yeah, well, I have very noisy little dogs, so they will alert me. That's true. He found nothing of note until he went to the attic. In the attic, he was shocked to find straw spread all over the entire floor. Again, no one in the family claimed to have done this. And what does straw do? Tell us. It muffles the sound of footsteps. That's right. So, bam. Thank you, (laughs) ma'am. For some reason, Andreas didn't go to the police. Maybe he thought that they wouldn't believe him, or maybe he just wasn't scared. I don't know why he didn't go to the police. That was the stupidest thing he could have done. Yeah. A little foreshadowing Clearly. <laughs> he did tell a few neighbors about the event, and then also Victoria had mentioned it as well when she went into town to do some shopping. Mm-hmm. That day when Victoria arrived home, she was met by the new housekeeper, Maria Baumgartner, who was 44 years old at the time. Her and her sister... Franzika had just walked over there to start her new job. Franzika accompanied her sister to her new home at the farm. She stayed for about an hour, and then they headed, well, she headed back to return home, and then Maria stayed there for a wonderful job that she enjoyed until her retirement. Spoiler, she did not enjoy that job till her retirement. (laughs) Nope. This was her very first day. It was Friday, March 31st, 1922. And, Nicole, if you will pick up our story there. I sure will. Okay. Let's talk about my favorite part of our murder true crime episodes. And that's the actual murder. And I don't love murder, but I'm morbid and dark as shit. So that's why it's my favorite part. I absolutely love how your favorite part is the murder of the murder episodes (laughs) and my favorite part is the background right so it's always a no-brainer we just automatically know you got to do the history i have to do the The blood the history i do the history you do the mystery mystery (laughs) i do the mystery the murder history yeah the gore as well mentioned previously andreas was arrested and served time for raping his daughter yeah this was public knowledge and the neighbors sort of treated the family like social pariahs there were also rumors that andreas beat both his wife and his daughter which like we said before probably 100 percent true oh absolutely everyone hated andreas we hate andreas but because of this Him and his family were sort of, like, recluses. Yeah. If I lived here at this time, I would purposely make a point to hate this man out loud. Yeah. Yeah, I'd probably yell, like, fuck you, Andreas. Every (laughs) sprickancy dick, Andreas. You 100% would do that. I I know for a fact. I would. I would bully this man. She would. So on April 1st, 1992, when little Cecilia, which... We're just going to go with whatever we go with because we don't know how to actually say it. We don't know German. She was also known as Celie. I guess that was a name. Cecilia Celie. Cute. So she failed to show up for school. And it was just one day, so no one really raised any alarms. It was sort of unusual, maybe even quite unusual. Quite unusual. Unusual. Because she didn't take many days off, but it was just one day, so the teacher really didn't think anything of it. That very same day, around noon, two men came to Hinterkaifeck to deliver a coffee order. 
They knocked on the doors, but no one answered, and all of the doors were locked. A quick cue for you. Yeah. Was it a Dunkin' Donuts delivery, like how Ben Affleck gets every single day? And then he tries to carry it in with all his Amazon packages. Ben Sadfleck. Yeah. I'm, yeah. He loves Dunkin', doesn't he? He does. It's he like a weird East it. Coast thing. It's weird because everyone knows that Starbucks is way better. Dunkin' Donuts is terrible. Probably going to get hate mail for that I don't one. even care. At I don't me. care. At, my, at me to my <laughs> face about it. You're right. It is an East Coast thing. Yeah. Also, totally. I just want to say that I forget Ben Affleck's name all the time, so I call him Other Matt Day. <laughs> oh, they're mad, Damon. Yeah. I love it. So there was really nothing suspicious to make the Dunkin' Donut bringers. Mm-hmm. There was nothing suspicious to make them think that there was any wrongdoing, so they just left, just didn't deliver the coffee. That same evening, a man named Michael Plockel? Yeah. Yeah. Went by Hinterkaifeck on his way home from an honest day's work, and he noted that there was smoke coming from the chimney. He also noticed that there was a fire burning in their giant outdoor oven and that a man came from behind it. And the man sort of just like shone his lantern in Michael's face. And Michael was extremely startled by this man, so he ran away. It's very suspicious. Very suspicious. But it also seems like something Andreas would do to me. Right. Just like a weird reclusive weirdo thing. Well, exactly. And I think that's why... Michael really didn't say anything about it, you know, until obviously we know what happens. But he did, however, note that a strange odor seemed to be emitting from the chimney of the house. He said that it smelled like a burning fabric of dirty rags. Ew. Not sure what that smells like, but I don't want to ever smell that. I'm just going to assume it's like burning dirty rags. Bodies. Yeah. Smelly. Bodies in the barn. Smelly. Then Sunday came around, and what did every single goddamn person do on Sunday back in the day? Yeah, watch the Super Bowl. (laughs) If you guess church, you are correct. Except on this particular Sunday, the Gruber family did not show up for church. I bet everyone was whispering about it. Oh, probably the talk of the town. Oh, yeah, like the weird incest family didn't show up to church. (laughs) What are they doing? Incesting or something? (laughs) Exactly. It's very sad. I'm not trying to make fun of that, but... (laughs) This caused a few people to take notice because Victoria was a member of the choir and she sang in it every Sunday and rarely missed. But still, neighbors noticed the chimney smoke, though their neighbor, Michael Plockel, noticed that the family dog was not running around the land as he usually did. Yeah. But still, there was really no cause for alarm. I read that their dog was a Pomeranian. No. Yeah. Which they kept as a little house dog. It wasn't mm-hmm. like a farm dog. It was like a little pet to yeah. them. But it also loved to run around outside and just mm-hmm. be totally loud and bark at people and be the worst dog ever. Be a Pomeranian? Yeah. Also, have you seen old world breed Pomeranians? I have not. No. First off, I was Googling them today and Pomerania was a place. Really? Yeah. It's like a... Where the dog... Is that where the dog came from? Yeah. So very interesting. I had no idea. And also, they were like a medium-sized dog. Really? Yeah, they were like 30-pound dogs. And they just shrunk? Yeah, so they bred them to be little teeny tiny poof balls. They're so cute. Pomeranians are so fucking fucking cute. (laughs) They're so cute. But if you look at old pictures, they look like mini chows or something. Really? Yeah, they're very cool. Wow. Yeah, they're totally different. I had never known that, but that makes sense because I also heard the dog 
was like a huge dick and bit the little girl too. Yeah. And when you said Pomeranian, I was like, how? Oh, I guess Pomeranians could bite too, but. Yeah, but they have little tiny mouths. Yeah. Pomeranians are so, so cute. cute. Then Monday came around and little Cecilia did not show up for school once again. The postman also made his rounds and he dropped off the mail, but he didn't see any of the family around. So he figured they were probably just in some other part of the home. But he also noticed that their mail had been piling up. So the mail that he had previously delivered, nobody had picked it up. Mm -hmm. On Tuesday, April 4th, a man named Albert Hoffner came to Hinterkaifeck. Andreas had actually called him to come fix an engine. So he comes to Hinterkaifeck. He knocks on the front door, but no one answers. He says that he did see a man far away in the fields and just figured that it was Andreas. Right. And he could also hear the family dog barking from inside the barn. So didn't think anything of it. So he found the equipment. He was hired to fix and he got to work. That makes perfect sense to me. He probably didn't think anything was strange. No. The family dog's outside like usual, barking away, being terrible. (laughs) Um, Andreas, he thinks, is in this backfield. It's probably just normal to him. Exactly. So Albert spent a couple of hours fixing the engine. And when he was done, he made his way back towards the house where he found that the dog had been removed from the barn and tied outside of the house. Okay, so two things. One, this is confirmation someone is there actively moving the dog around. Exactly. Which is terrifying knowing what we know now. Mm-hmm. But to this man, it probably just also seemed normal. Right. Yeah. He said that the dog had a large cut across his face and that the dog was acting wild. So he was just like kind of like barking and growling. And he just said that something was just really not right with this dog. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. Again, Albert tried knocking on the door, and there was no answer. He even tried opening the door, but it was locked. At this point, he starts to think something weird is going on. So on his way home, he stops by the neighbor's house, the Schlittenbauer residence. Our good friend, Lawrence. Oh, Lawrence. Schlittenbauer. At the time, Lawrence was not home, but he relayed what had happened and just how odd it was that none of the family members were anywhere to be found. But none of the people he spoke to really gave a shit. And Mm. I'm thinking probably because they didn't really care for the Grubers because Andreas was a huge cock. Oh, totally, dude. He was an absolute beast to this man. And I would absolutely... Not want anything to do with them. Absolutely. Just like, fuck you. I do not care. Right. Who cares if they're not home? Who cares? Who cares? So Albert leaves and is just like, cool. Guess we're not going to care about this family. So bye. Bye. (laughs) And no one cared. And that is until our dude, Lawrence Schlittenbauer, comes home from work and is told what Albert experienced at Hinterkaifeck just a few hours ago. Lawrence told his two sons, Johan and Joseph, to go over to Hinterkaifeck and check things out, you know, just to be safe. So they do. But they return without really any news. They said the place was quiet, it was dark, and that everything was just locked up. So at this point, Lawrence is like, something's not right. Knowing what he knew about Andreas, though, he thought maybe Andreas could have killed the family and then maybe killed himself. So he calls on two other neighbors, Mikkel Pohl and Joseph Siegel, to come along with him and they go and check the place out. Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. What is that from? (laughs) 
Oh, it's from Bill and Ted. Yes. Yeah. I was like, where is that from? (laughs) Seriously, though, I feel like he has big family annihilator vibes. Yeah. It makes total sense that Andreas would just kill everyone. Oh, yeah. I would totally think the same thing. Yeah. So that was pretty clever of him to think that. When the men approached the property, they noticed that the barn door was open, just as Albert said it was, but Albert didn't go into the barn. Lawrence and his crew, however, did. And what they found was a grisly scene. They found the bodies of Andreas, Cecilia, Victoria, and little Cecilia, all brutally murdered. Terrible. Each member of the family had been beaten to death with some type of sharp, heavy object, possibly an axe. All of them had severe wounds to their heads, and Andreas had been beaten so badly in the face His cheekbones were exposed. He's dead, but look at his cheekbones. (laughs) The two women, Cecilia Sr. and Victoria, also showed signs of strangulation. Cecilia had been hit seven times on the head, cracking her skull. Victoria's right side of her face was completely smashed in, and nine star-shaped wounds were found on her head. Wow. Little Cecilia was found with a gaping wound on her chin and her throat. She was also found with clumps of her own hair in her hands. But more on that a little bit later. When they found her, she was lying on the wall next to the stable door. The saddest thing. Yeah. All of the bodies were found partially covered in straw. Lawrence, the final chap that he is, then started to touch all of the bodies. Yes. um, The bodies were stacked one on top of each other. Oh, were they? Yeah. In like a weird, like, leaning up against a wall, stacked, like, dominoes. Gross. When Lawrence was asked why he was moving the bodies around, he stated that he was looking for Joseph, his maybe son. Mm. But they did not find Joseph's body among the others in the barn. Oh, okay, so now he's your son. Mm -hmm. Okay, right. Right. But before, not. But now, now that he might be dead, definitely your son. (laughs) The other men thought that Lauren's behavior was a little weird. He was just sort of like nonchalant. He was just sort of like nonchalantly touching these bodies as if it were nothing. It's very weird. All to search for a boy that he had sworn up and down wasn't his son. Yeah, that's what's so weird about it. Right. Why are you moving all these corpses? First off, don't touch a corpse. Don't touch Just like a, a pretty good rule of thumb. Yeah. If you see a corpse, don't, don't touch, touch it. it. No, it's not for you to touch. Mm-mm. And he's touching all these corpses, looking for this boy that he said wasn't his son. Right. But now, now he's really concerned that he might be dead. Yeah. Yeah. So weird. So the men then made their way out of the barn and towards the home, where they found a set of keys in the lock. Oh. The same set that had gone missing days earlier. The men entered the kitchen and found a few drops of blood on the floor, but no footprints. They then entered the maid's chamber, which was off of the kitchen. And there they found the body of the freshly newly hired maid, Maria Baumgartner. The poor woman didn't even have the chance to unpack her belongings before she was brutally murdered. Right. Some accounts say that Lawrence went into the home alone and that the other two stayed outside. But other articles claim that they went inside with him because there were claims made that he knew where everything was in the home. And how do you see that if you're outside of the house, you know? Yeah. 
So Maria was found on the floor with her head almost under the bed, lying on her side. The murderer laid a feather bed over her body, and her head laid in a pool of blood. Just like the others, her head was beaten several times. The men didn't find the home ransacked. Nothing was really out of place. The only thing they really initially found was Victoria's empty wallet on her bed. Right, but everything else was pretty much exactly where it was before. Mm -hmm. We'll get into this in the evidence part in a minute, but it's just so bizarre to me that the only thing that was missing that they could really see out front Mm -hmm. was that her wallet was empty. Right, and who even knows if she even had money in it in the first place. Right. So The men continued their search for baby Joseph until they came upon Victoria's room. First, they found bloodstains on the floor, and then they came upon the bassinet. And warning here, because it's going to get a little bit graphic. Yeah, so if you don't like baby murder, maybe skip ahead a few seconds. Yeah. They found baby Yosef slain in the same manner as the rest. The murderer had hit him once on his head and injured his right temple so severely, they found parts of his brain splattered in his bassinet. The murderer then covered the bassinet with a red skirt. Now having accounted for every member of the family, Lawrence sent the other two men to go fetch the police as he stayed in the house of horrors and went to go feed the pigs as he waited. Yeah, Lawrence would later be described as eerily calm and very collected during the whole event, but he also made sure to touch practically everything at this crime scene because why the hell would he not right i mean he's already fondled all the bodies at this point so might as well go big or go home he's touching all these bodies and then he finally finds his baby yosef and the men he was with said he didn't act emotional about it so with that too we have to think that he probably served in world war one oh yeah so death to him probably wasn't like a you know. Right, and everyone is allowed to grieve or be shocked React. in a way that right. fits them best, so that's fine. It just seemed weird, though. It it seems weird that he was so concerned to find this baby in the barn, and then he finds a baby and is like, oh, I'm going to feed the pigs. <laughs> just kind of a weird, you know. Kind of odd, yeah. Kind of weird. Yeah, I'll agree. Maybe makes you go, hmm. hmm. The local authorities showed up super quick. And then another group of police from Munich had been summoned as well, and they showed up a couple days later. Word had quickly spread throughout the town of what had happened to the Grubers, and obviously every local went straight to the farm to get a glimpse of the gore. The townspeople trampled through the crime scene. Very big Lizzie Borden vibes here. There are a lot, actually, of similarities between this case and that case. Yeah. And they probably also just touched, like, everything there. (laughs) They definitely were just touching things. Yeah, for sure. They disturbed evidence, and they absolutely ruined any footprints that were there prior, which is sort of a big deal because they maybe could have been able to see how many people were going in and out of the house. Right. There was still a lot of snow on the ground. Yeah. So it would have been pretty easy to find out. Exactly. If every person in the whole world didn't come here. (laughs) 
Also, I saw that all of the people that came to see this murder scene hung around for so long that they started cooking in the no. Gruber's kitchen. No. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they're feeling, you know, a little peckish after contaminating a crime scene. <laughs> so they thought they'd have, like, a schmoke and a schnitzel. <laughs> Bong and a blintz. Cigar and a waffle. Yeah. Why not? You got to eat, right? Got to. Girls got to eat. Even if every Frau and her Mutter had stayed out of this crime scene... It would be completely unlikely that the case would be easily solved or, I guess, solvable at all, really. Mm-hmm. Remember, this is 1922. Yep. Detective work is absolutely subpar. <laughs> yep. And there is really no forensics at the time. Nope. And pretty much if they didn't have someone that confessed, they didn't solve things. They did not. Yeah. A list kept by the local police showed that more than 50 investigators worked on this crime in the first year. Over 100 statements were taken from locals as well. Although, that was probably inflated, like the people calling in with tips. Yeah. Because there was a reward for 100,000 marks for helpful information for the murder. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and then when they weren't getting helpful information, they raised it to 500,000 marks. Shit. I have no idea how much money that is, but it sounds like a lot. Yeah. Due to the fact that the new housekeeper, Maria, as we said earlier, her backpack was still packed... The police deduce that the murder must have happened on the 31st of March, the same day that she arrived, likely very shortly after she got there. That is so terrible. Just the worst first day. The worst luck. Yeah, seriously. Victoria and little Katzelia were dressed in day clothes, but the rest of the family was wearing their pajamas, which led police to think that this possibly happened later in the day and some people were getting ready for bed already, Mm. but then maybe these two hadn't. There's also sort of a working theory that Victoria and Katzelia, the little baby, were leaving somewhere. Oh. But that's just like a rumor on the internet. Did they have things packed? No, but they were wearing, like, day clothes and everyone else was wearing their PJs. Oh, okay. So it's just kind of weird. Yeah. Also, it's believed that the victims were taken out one by one, so maybe... Some of them had a chance to get ready for bed and others didn't before they were murdered. Ooh. So that's sort of a thing, too. I was going to say it's sort of fun. I say that a lot about murder, and I feel like I need to stop. Well, we know you don't We know you don't mean that it's no, fun. It's not like fun, but it's like fun. <laughs> yeah. The inspection record did show that the victims were probably drawn to the barn one by one. But we do not know if this was purposeful or just an unfortunate accident on mm-hmm. each of their parts. I actually have a theory about this, but Ooh. I want to chat about it more on the after show. Okay. So I'm going to zip it right now. Plug that after show, girl. <laughs> During a later investigation, it was determined that loud screams from a person could not have been heard emitting from inside the barn if a person was inside the house. Oh, okay. Right. So maybe they didn't know what was going on and they just happened to go out there, except obviously the baby and the housekeeper yeah. who were a baby and a housekeeper. Or if they were lured, they had no reason to believe that anyone was being killed in the barn. So Right. So I don't know. Just I guess keep that in mind. The case was confusing to say the least. The initial thought was a robbery, but as Nicole mentioned earlier... Victoria's wallet had been looted, but honestly, that was about it. 
there was tons of jewelry just everywhere, basically, like laying around, just as you would in your house, Mm -hmm. you know, on tables or whatever. There was also a huge stash of money of Andreas's that wasn't touched. Mm -hmm. And there was just enough money and other valuables laying around that it seemed that burglary, burglary was looking less and less promising. Right, and in the maid's room, they found uh, a bag with her wages in it. Okay. So they had paid her for, I don't know if it was for the week or the month. She had been paid, and her wages were still in her room, so nobody took her money. Right, just the worst burglary ever. <laughs> yeah, if it was one. I did see that some of like the pocket money was taken from some of the other people, like out of their wallets, some of the other victims of Gruber's. Oh. But there's also a theory that some of the people that came to like Looky Lou took it. Were taking money out of corpses' wallets. 100% could be the case. Why would they not? These people are fucking terrible, anyways. Yeah. They came to poke a corpse with a stick. <laughs> I don't put it past them. Yeah. The strangest part of the whole case was that it appeared someone had been living at the farm well after the family had been murdered. Yeah. Meat had been recently carved off of a hung cow carcass in the cellar. And it wasn't just from the Lucky Lou's having a snooze. <laughs> and also all the bread had been eaten from the kitchen. Bread that was purchased by Victoria on the 31st for the whole family for the whole week. Mm. So it's a lot of bread. Right. In the attic, food scraps and human shit were just found all over the place. Oh, nice. Yeah, like this dude was snacking and shitting <laughs> everywhere up there. Ah, uh, yes. Living the life. Snacking and a shitting. Sometimes I shit while I snack. Sometimes I snack while I shit. I'm kind of a wild card. I do it all. <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> it's fucking gross. It's very gross. Shitting and snacking. <laughs> There it is. Yeah. Thank you. I'm not please, doing enough German, I please think. Please don't hold back on your German accent. Okay, well, okay. I just watched, um, what's that little Nazi boy movie? Jojo Rabbit. Jojo Rabbit. Oh, I yeah. love Jojo Rabbit. And Sam Rockwell. I fucking love Sam oh, Rockwell. He's top five He fucking nails that shh that yeah. happens. <laughs> it's so, so good. good. Shitting and snacking. <laughs> also, the animals at the farm had been fed, and they appeared to be in good condition. Aside from the dog's face that got nailed with something. Yeah. But still, the dog had been fed. The cows, the chickens were fed. The eggs were collected. There were no starving animals. Everything was kind of in working order. Right. And remember, the guy saw the smoke from the chimney. So someone was living in that house for sure. Yes. And smoke was specifically coming out of the bakery part as well. Mm. So someone was cooking. Mm. And shitting. And snacking. (laughs) The trifecta of glory. In the attic, it was noted that several of the roof tiles had been removed, making sort of a makeshift window to look into the little yard of the house. This would have allowed anyone in the attic to see who was coming and going from the farm. It could not be determined if this was done, like, before or after the murders, but I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say that this was probably... From whoever was shitting and snacking in that <laughs> attic was also peeking through the roof. Shitting and snacking and peeking. Sneaking. Sneaking, snacking, shitting. <laughs> Sneaking, snacking, shitting. So good. Doing it all. Nicole mentioned earlier that little Catcelia had ripped out some of her hair. 
And this is super, super tragic. But yeah. it's believed by authorities that either she was the first one to be attacked mm-hmm. and she didn't die. Yeah. So she was slowly dying and had to watch everyone else die. Yeah. Or she was the last one to die. And again, it was slow and it was just totally a stressful so stressful that she pulled her hair out yeah that's i think the saddest part of this story is that little bit for me yeah i agree because whatever was happening she was aware of it so much so that she ripped her own hair out yeah so it's it's really sad i can't pluck like a mustache hair without (laughs) crying so i can't imagine ripping out clumps of your own head hair yeah i mean sometimes i pluck my eyebrows and i cry (laughs) Yeah. So it's 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 honestly we're joking, but it's very sad. Yeah. It's one thing for a child to die. It's another thing for a child to die slowly and painfully. Yeah. Yeah. It's bad. Not great. The authorities became so desperate for some kind of clue or information that they even removed the victim's heads and they sent them to a psychic in Munich. The psychic said that the skulls told them that there were two killers and that the murder weapon was hidden on the property, but the spirits offered up no further information. I love that they did that, though. It's very cool. It's so cool. The autopsy technicians did determine that a pickaxe, specifically something called a maddock, was the weapon that was used to ultimately kill the Groovers and their housekeeper. Despite several of them showing signs of strangulation, it was ultimately the blows to the head with this maddock that ended their lives. The skulls were actually kept in a courthouse that was later bombed in World War II. Oh. And the skulls were just lost to time. Wow. Yeah, so all the Grubers are buried without their heads. That's actually kind of metal, so. Yeah, why not, right? Now they're headless, the headless horse Grubers. (laughs) The spirits were right about one thing. The weapon was nowhere to be found. Until the following year when the house was leveled, which we'll get to, and this maddock, which if you don't know what that is, I had to look it up. It's sort of like an old timey like pickaxe. Yeah. Yeah. Like Yosemite Sam style. Mm -hmm. So it has a flat end on one side and then a sharp, well, this must have been a star shaped end on the other side. Yeah. Like pickaxe looking thing. Yeah. So this was found having been buried under a false floor, which Hmm. again, we will get to later. All right. Do we want to talk about some suspects? I think maybe we should. Okay. I just want to give everyone an FYI because a lot of the information that I am going to talk about came from a German website called hinterkfec.net. It's absolutely amazing and it's chock full of info, but it's also all in German. So I had to Google Translate all of it and I just want to say... Thank God for the internet and Google Translate, because I was able to read this. Some things were a little lost in translation, if you will. Yeah. Um, but it was honestly amazing, because it just, like, translated the whole website for me. What did people do before Google Translate? Learn yeah. other languages? Yeah. No Losers. Time for that. <laughs> just kidding. I think it's awesome if you speak more than one language. It's amazing, and you should. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about some suspects. Let's do it. So during the investigation, more than 100 people were questioned about the murders. So let's go through all 100. Yes, this is going to be a very long episode, Mm -hmm. so hold on to your butts. Hold on to your butts. Just kidding. We're just going to touch on the main ones here. Just the fun ones. Just the super fun ones. The super fun maybe murderers. Super fun. 
Okay, so the first one we have is Carl Gabriel, which, if you remember a little earlier in the story, Noel mentioned that the daughter, Victoria, had been married to a man named Carl Gabriel. Carl was the father of Cecilia and was drafted in World War I, but then was pronounced missing in action and presumed to be dead. But the body was never recovered. It was never recovered. I also found that Carl and I share a birthday. What? Big SAG energy coming from this one. Oh, so nice. Yeah, so. Twinsies. Kind of cute. Anywho, a man named Matthias Esser claimed that he had seen Carl Gabriel alive and well and living in Russia. Oh, convenient. After World War II, he claimed that he was released from Soviet captivity by a man who spoke German. This man also apparently told him he was responsible for the Hinterkaifeck murders. All right, weird, weird thing to say, but sure, sir. Matthias later recanted the story, so the credibility here is, I mean, basically not there at all. Right. We're going to see that a lot because remember, this is not a solved case. No. So pretty much every story we tell you will come to no conclusion. Exactly. So we're super sorry, but it's sort of fun. That's just the way it is. Okay. In addition to that, in April of 1999, a woman named Therese, I don't know how to say this last name. Um, think Groovam uh, Krampus. So G-R-O-V. Groovebaum? Yeah. Groovebaum? Therese Groovebaum went to Donna Kurier, which is a German newspaper. Probably butchered that name also. But she told them that a man named Lorenz Hausfelder told her that he had met with Carl Gabriel in 1918 and also in 1926, which would be after the murders. What? Yes. She said that Lawrence Hausfelder told her that Carl Gabriel showed him a foreign paybook and told him that he was responsible for the murders at Hinterkaifeck. The story was published on April 15th, 1999. But why did this woman wait 60 years to tell this story? No one really knows. And also, no one really knows if that story is really true. It's so weird if it's not true. Right. It's it's so weird to me that people do that. What a weird thing to say if it's not true. <laughs> people do it all of the time, though. Yeah, they do. How many people have confessed to being the Zodiac Killer? Well, when we all know who it is. Theodore? We all know it's you. Ted motherfucking Cruz. God. <laughs> Another weird thing relating to this particular theory is that Victoria, like we mentioned before, she saw a man looming around the edge of the woods near the property wearing an army coat. Right. She said that when she started to move closer to the man, he just turned around and disappeared. So there was this man watching the house wearing an army coat. And Carl was in the army. What? And he was a man that wore coats sometimes. He was a man. So... Could this have been the murderer? Probably. But was it Carl Gabriel? Possibly. (laughs) We don't know. (laughs) The police ultimately just gave up the theory because two men named Josef Bichler and Nicholas Haas 
stated that they had seen Carl Gabriel die in the war, and they even identified his body. So they never really recovered the body, but they have two men that are like, he died, we saw it happen, we identified him as being dead. So this yeah. is kind of a, a dead end. Also, what does he have to gain from this? Exactly. Why would he kill his own daughter, too? I could see maybe the family and maybe Victoria, but his own daughter and a son that he does uh, that he has no relation to him, a baby. Why? I don't know. It, none Why? Of the, I don't know. We'll talk about that on the after show. But it's just so. I, I don't know if I don't like this one. I don't. It, it's a crazy ass theory, and really nobody believes it. Not even the police. So no, we're gonna move on. Our next suspect is one that I think we kind of foreshadowed and we all saw coming. And that's good old Lawrence touches everybody he sees, Schlittenbauer. Hey guys, I'm just going to go over here and touch some corpses, okay? So maybe just like, I don't know, I'm going to go feed the pigs afterwards. But like, yeah, okay, goodbye. <laughs> Auf Wiedersehen, asshole. Remember, he almost married Victoria, but the relationship was cut off because of the intervention of her incestual dickhead of a father. That'll happen. And there were claims that Yosef was his son, but he denied it, though Ow. he was like, maybe, and then he was like, nah. Oh, God, so this guy sucks. He does suck. No, it's Go terrible. touch a freaking corpse, Lawrence. Touch a corpse and get out of our face. <laughs> but still, there is really no way to know back in the day if the boy could have been his or the father's. Either way, gross. I'm hoping it was his. Gross and sad. He was a suspect because of his connection to the family, because Lawrence and Andreas clearly did not like each other. They had several arguments, and Andreas threatened him one time with a scythe, so... Right. That happened. Yeah. After Yosef's birth, Andreas demanded Lawrence pay child support, and he wouldn't do it. And then Andreas was arrested because Lawrence got him arrested because he said he was having sex with his daughter. Which he was. Which he was. But like Noelle said, it's rumored the Grubers paid him to tell the police that that actually wasn't true. It's actually rumored that Victoria paid him to say he was the father and then gave him the alimony money to pay to her. Oh. I'm assuming probably because if he was labeled as the father, maybe it would help the the child like if you if you, if the whole neighborhood knows that the child is a product right. of incest it's people are gonna look at him differently so i'm thinking maybe she did it for the sake of her child probably either way this whole situation was the cause for why lawrence was a suspect in the first place another big thing with him is that he was the first on the scene and touched everything that he could Remember, the other men with him thought it was very odd. They also thought it was strange how casual he was about everything. Like, who just moves a body? I can't yeah. let that go. Yeah. He, Not he, just a body, several bodies. My first inclination when seeing a body would not be to move it. Yeah. It would actually be to not touch it. It would be to get away, as far away from it as I could. I don't want to touch a dead thing. No. Nope. Let alone four dead things stacked on top of each other that right. are definitely my former neighbors. And especially a certain one dead thing that you almost married. It's just so... so it's so insane. Yeah. There were actually a lot of neighbors that were convinced that Lawrence had committed the crimes. 
um, a man named Jacob Siegel started spreading rumors that he was, in fact, the murderer. And then he ended up having to pay 40 marks because of it. Oh. Yeah. He got fined for gossiping. He got fined for gossip. Another thing that they brought up is the keys. So before the murders, Andreas had said that they were stolen or lost. Some people think Lawrence had the keys with him when he went to check with oh, that day with the bodies. clever. So he had unlocked the door from inside. So all of the doors were locked. And I guess he had broken into the house and he had opened the door from the inside to let the other men in. And he just said that he found the keys inside. He found them in the door or in the kitchen, wherever. So no one really saw him find the keys. Right. Which is, Suspicious. who knows? Suspicious, yes. But there's really no evidence besides that against Lawrence. I guess also besides the fact that he acted abnormal on the day that the bodies were found. Right. But I feel like you have to throw that out. Right. I mean, he tended to the farm animals while he was waiting for the police. And when he was questioned, he just said that he wanted to help. Which, I mean, that is helping. So we'll give him that. One thing I also saw was that the maid's quarters, the door was a little bit different. So all the Mm. other doors, you push down on the handle to open it. Mm -hmm. But hers, you had to lift up. Right. And when he went into her room, he automatically lifted that one up. up. Yeah. Like he knew. Yeah. Well... He also almost married Victoria, though, so... True, yeah, He yeah, had yeah, been yeah. over a few times. That's true. Lawrence had motive, as we just said, and the crime was not a burglary, so it seemed kind of personal. So why did this murderer choose this particular family? Could have been Lawrence, but I don't know. He's not on the top of my list, either, for this. I also agree with that. And then I saw some places that Lawrence, one of his sons, died a few days before this. Mm-hmm. So maybe it was like a, I can't have my son, you can't have your son yeah, situation. Yeah, like an act of, like, just, I'm freaking out thing. Yeah. Which... I don't know if I buy that. I don't buy it either. No, I don't love Lawrence for this. Our next suspects are the Gump Brothers. On October 20th, 1941, A woman on her deathbed named Crescentia Mayer confessed that her brothers, Anton and Adolf Gump, no relation to Forrest. No relation to Forrest. (laughs) Though they could run pretty fast. Oh, yeah. They've been known to run. Yes. So she says that they were responsible for the Hinterkaifeck murders. The pastor, who was with her on her deathbed, wrote the names of the brothers down on a piece of paper but ended up misplacing it until 1952 when he found it and then gave it to the police. I'm sorry. He misplaced a piece of paper. For nine years. Nine years. (laughs) But then he found it after nine years. That's the more impressive part. Right. I lose shit all the time, but I've never found something after nine years. Yeah. So that seems purposeful. It's really weird and i i don't really know what to make of it but the police investigated but by this time adolf gump was already dead he died in 1944 anton however was still alive so they took him into custody anton said that during the time of the murders he was living with his brother and they were aware of hinter but He said that neither of them had ever been there. Okay. While he was in custody, Anton was cited as saying to his cellmate 
And all this because of the child, which what? is a strange thing to say. What does that mean? No one really knows, but it doesn't mean that they committed the murders. Right. People say weird shit all the time. Yeah. After a lot of questioning, the police really had nothing on Anton besides the word of his sister on her deathbed. So he was released. There is a rumor that Adolf may have had relations with Victoria and that he was possibly the father of Josef. And also that he hated Andreas because everyone hated Andreas. Right. Everyone hates Andreas. No one knows who this kid's father is. Nope. And also people just kind of slander Victoria by being like, well, we don't know who she was sleeping with. Exactly. Kind of fucked. It's very fucked. But again, literally, there's nothing to prove this. The only thing is the deathbed confession of the sister. So nothing to go on. Our next suspects have in cold blood written all over them. Whoa. We have the Beechler brothers and a man named George Siegel. The Beechler brothers were investigated because they knew Hinterkaifeck. Anton had helped with a potato harvest in 1919, and Carl helped them with the threshing season, which I guess threshing is the process of loosening the edible parts from a grain. George, How did you not know that? I, Who I'm, didn't know what threshing I'm was? I'm not a farmer. I don't wear overalls like you. what okay. threshing would be <laughs> if I had to guess. I'm just kidding. I had no idea what that was. George Siegel had also done work on the farm, so he, too, was familiar with the area These men were actually brought to the attention of the authorities by the former maid, Krizenz Rieger, who conveniently left right before the murders. Dude, good fucking timing. Talk about good luck. (laughs) Seriously. So she said that both Anton and George Siegel made several statements to her just stating that the family should all be slain just a weird thing to say to someone no i say that all the time. <laughs> no it's super weird to just say that to a person especially like a person that works with the family yeah she called anton bichler a violent person and she actually expressed this to mr and mrs gruber so she quit because she was hearing spirits and what she thought was ghosts but right. she also quit working for the family because of anton bichler Because she feared that he was going to kill the family and herself included. Oh, Anton did it. That's, yeah. She also said that George Siegel had broken into the house and stolen several items from the family before she had started working for the Grubers. Actually, little Cecilia told her this. Oh, yeah. And she claimed that the three of them knew that the Grubers kept a small fortune hidden in the home, but they didn't know where. Big in cold blood vibes. Very big in cold blood vibes. And also makes me feel like they would try to look for that. Exactly. At any cost. Exactly. And maybe spend a couple days living there to look for it. Oh, for sure. She also said that Anton Bichler would often come to her window and ask her to be let in. He apparently wanted to engage in sexual relations with her, but she was not interested Others who worked on the farm said that Anton blamed the Grubers for not being able to get her. This is so disgusting. Imagine it's a man rolls up to your window at night. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, here's that hot stuff. <laughs> I was just wondering, can I get you? Mm-hmm. I would 
I don't even know what I'd do. I'd probably scream. Nope. No, thank you. So it seems to me like these dudes may be the best suspects we've examined thus far. But then why were valuables left? And why was the money of the maid's wages left? We don't know. So hopefully you can continue on and possibly shed some light, Noel. Um, I have a couple that I want to go over, but not too many. I mean, we're not going over all 100. Right. So I just picked a couple that just I the thought. the main guys. Yeah, that I thought were sort of fun, but also, again, have absolutely no conclusion. Mm-hmm. So enjoy that extremely frustrating <laughs> just fact about all of this. Yeah. In 1971, a letter was written by a woman named Teresa T. No last name here. Who the murderer at Hinterkaifeck Farm was. She claimed that when she was 12 years old, her mother received a visit from the mother of two brothers named Carl and Andreas S. from Saddleburg. I'd like to point out, too, that this is also confusing because everyone has the same name. Everyone has the same fucking name. It's repeated so many times. And Carl. I, yeah, and I've never heard any of these German names before. Mm. Well, Carl. Therese. Yeah. Andreas. Andreas. They're all fucking Andreases yeah. and Lorenzes. There's been two Lorenzes in this story. And a lot of them have the same last names, too. Yeah. Bichler was used twice, but two different people. So it's kind of confusing. It is confusing. Well, this girl, Teresa T., claimed that she overheard the visitor complaining that her son had lost a penknife and that he was missing it. Like, really wanted this thing back. Mm-hmm. In 1923, when the farm was leveled, a penknife was found. Teresa T. is claiming that the penknife must have belonged to these brothers, putting them at the scene of the crime. So she just says that a penknife was missing by somebody that she knew, and then a penknife was found at the scene, so she automatically just thinks it had have been the same person? One plus one is always two, Nicole. (laughs) That's exactly what she's saying. All right. Supposedly, though, at the time, the knife could not be directly connected to anyone that lived at the house at the time. The previous housekeeper, though, the luckiest woman in the world, Krenzen Rieger, <laughs> said in an interview that she did remember the penknife being around, but she just felt like it had nothing to do with anything and was confused why the authorities were bringing up this penknife. Right. So, again, pretty lame, went absolutely nowhere. <laughs> in a hearing shortly after the murders, a man named Josef Betts pointed a finger at Peter Weber. Peter worked alongside Yosef at the farm in the winter between 1919 and 1920. Yosef testified that Peter suggested killing the elder groupers and robbing them of all of their money. Wow. Why does everyone want to do that to the sport family? I feel like because they all hate the groupers yeah. and they know they have money. Yeah. So it's a totally. good like family to hate almost. Exactly. Yeah. Yosef claims that he told Peter that he wasn't interested in killing or robbing these people, and then he never heard Peter talk about it ever again. He claimed that Peter could have succeeded in his plan to kill the Grubers and rob them, but that was thrown out of court, and it just went absolutely nowhere. Never spoke about again. Never. The last suspect that we will entertain are the Fowler brothers. The former housekeeper, again, she's got so much information. She claimed that the pair had been seen in the area and had been arrested previously for several minor burglaries. The housekeeper said that one of the brothers, named Yosef, used to kind of pester her with questions about the family. Mm -hmm. Like, 
where are they going where do they sleep like just like really weird shit and where she, do they keep their fortune yeah exactly have you seen my pen knife no that was a different guy <laughs> sorry and she just absolutely refused to respond to him so mm-hmm. he left her alone he did claim that he knew where they kept the money and promised that he would get it one day okay that's extremely suspicious yeah but again nothing ever came of this one either nothing happened just because like the rest this is an unsolved mystery mm-hmm. the bodies of the grubers and maria baumgartner were buried in a ceremony attended by over three thousand people because this was extremely famous at the time mm-hmm. everyone knew about hinterkaifeck andreas gruber's brother and sister sued the surviving relatives of victoria's late husband carl over the ownership of the farm. There we go, yeah. The dispute was eventually settled out of court because there was no way to prove who had died first. Right. So the the theory was that if Cecilia was the last to die, so little the little one, yes. the farm would have gone to her. And yeah. then so it would have been in her control. And then when she died, it would have then gone to her grandfather. So her father, Carl Gabriel, his father. Right. So technically, it would have belonged to the Gabriels. Right. But since it's the 1900s and we can't really tell when a body dies, it was kind of up in the air whether or not it should have belonged to the Gabriels or the relatives of the Grubers. Right. And then they settled this out of court with Carl's relatives actually gaining control of the farm. Mm-hmm. And then the Grubers got a large cash settlement. So they right. kind of, it seems like they split it pretty evenly. Yeah. I mean, if they sell, they settled out of court, they're probably like, you take the farm, mm-hmm. just give us money. Yeah. We'll take the large stash and the right. pen knife. Which seems like the better end of the deal to me. 100%. As I said before, in 1923, just a year after the murder, the townspeople were just completely sick of looking at this farm, Mm -hmm. so they petitioned to have it torn down. And Carl's family was like, we don't give a shit about this farm at all. (laughs) Tear it down. Go for it. While this was being done, the murder weapon, this Maddox, which was actually handmade by Andreas Gruber himself, sort of a fun fact there, he made his own murder weapon. Great. It was discovered hidden in the false floor by the fireplace. But again, nothing came of it. Right, because forensics didn't exist, so it's not like they could take fingerprints off of it. Yep, they just happened to now have the murder weapon. (laughs) The police finally closed the file in 1955, and a simple concrete shrine was erected where the house once stood. Also, there is a memorial in the local cemetery and that's about it. That's what happened to the Hinter Kaifek farm and all the Grubers. I wonder what is on the land now. If it's, I don't think there's just anything empty. there. Creepy. You think it's I haunted? I would say so. I would think so. Just because of the way that they, the way and the manner that they died, it's just pretty aggressive. Pretty aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to hear more about our thoughts on what happened and hear me yell in German, (laughs) which you do, everyone does. Yes. Thank you. Um, Check out the after show with Nick and Nell. It's on our Patreon and we will be recording it when we're done with the show. Directly after this. That's right. 
Also, I heard we have a super special listener mail today. We do. Tell me about it, stud. It comes from my mother. Oh, your mommy. Yeah. So shout out to Connie. Connie. Who actually said, make sure you mention my name because I always love hearing my name. So what up, mom? What up, Conrad? (laughs) She listens to us, so I know she's going to hear it. So she listens to the podcast, and after she listened to our last episode on the Black Eyed Kids, she texted me a very creepy story. So let me just start by saying that this is not her personal story. It's actually an account from one of her old clients. So she used to work at an animal hospital, and there was this woman who used to come in all the time, and she told my mom this story strange story that had happened to her and my mom said that as soon as she heard our episode on the black-eyed kids it just immediately reminded her of the story and this woman's account of what happened whoa so clearly i was like all right carry on mother let's let's do this so here goes so my mom says that this woman told her that it was halloween night the spookiest night spookiest of nights And a group of kids knocked on her door. They asked if they could come in and use the bathroom. Typical B-E-K thing. Mm -hmm. And the woman said that she just got a really weird feeling. Uh, She just got a super strange vibe from these kids, which is the usual with black-eyed kids. So she told them no. But she said that these kids just kept begging and begging to come in and just use the bathroom. I would absolutely tell them to just use the bushes. Right. Like, just go to that tree right there. Fine with it. And she said that they were just so persistent that eventually she caved and she let them in. This woman lived with her brother and they were a bit older. Both of them never married. So she told her brother, you know, keep an eye, keep an eye on these kids. She described the kids as wearing raggedy clothing. Oh, greasy. My mom didn't say greasy, but I'm probably along those lines, Yeah, which is another BEK trait. My mom said that she doesn't remember her saying anything about them smelling badly, but the woman said that these kids were just like all over her house. And so she was watching the group who were, they were waiting for the bathroom, right? There was this line of kids waiting for the bathroom and then there was another group of them, I guess just in her living room and her brother was supposed to be patrolling the other ones but i guess he didn't do a very good job because the woman said that she caught some of them in her bedroom at one point oh my god yeah she never mentioned anything about black eyes or seeing black eyes but she said once the kids left they discovered that money was missing so not really something that we came across in our research but again we only have that one account of when they were let in so who knows i mean We do know that they have physical bodies, so maybe they needed money for a cab ride or something. Yeah. So I asked my mom then if anything happened to the woman after this encounter, you know? Did she have health problems? Did anything happen with her pets? You know, sort of the same things that we saw in the story that I read with the poor baby cats. Pigeon. Oh, Mm. pigeon. My mom said that. Her dog did, in fact, get sick shortly after. Oh, no. The woman had to take it to a specialty clinic, and they had to have a lump removed from this dog's liver. Oh, it got a tumor. Yes. Radiation. On top of that, 
Her brother got Alzheimer's disease and died from it. My mom no longer works at this animal hospital, so she said she's not sure if the woman is around or if she's healthy. But I think it's pretty freaky that after this happened, all of these things happened to this woman and her brother. Yeah, it makes total sense to me. Yeah. My mom said, I just immediately thought of that story when I was listening to you guys talk about it on the podcast. It gave me the creeps because the similarities were just spot on. She said she was so afraid that she was actually too scared to go up on the elevator on the elevator by herself when she was at the rescue. So she volunteers at an animal rescue and she listens to our podcast while she works there. Mm-hmm. And sometimes she's there late at night with only a few other people. So sometimes we scare the shit out of her. Oh, no. <laughs> and so I'm sorry, Mom. <laughs> Maybe listen to us during the day. That's so cute, though. <laughs> yeah. But I told her that, and this is a reminder for everyone, don't let the kids in and they won't be able to hurt you. So just remember, trust your gut. If it feels wrong, it probably is. And just don't let them in. Right. And never trust a child. And never trust children. Never. Never, never allow. Whoa. I just got a text message from my mom. <gasps> That's creepy. And I'm pretty sure my phone was on silent, too. So I don't know how that happened. Anyways. That's our listener mail for the day. That and was super spooky. My mom just texted me as I read her story. Tell, so. her, tell her I said hi. I will. Cool. Well, if you have any super spooky stories or if you're a mom that's afraid to <laughs> listen to our podcast late at night, let us know. We want to hear about it. Write us at quiteunusualpod at gmail.com or you can hit us up so super hard in those DMs on the face page, on the Instagram, Twitter, uh i don't care about any other social medias i don't even care about those so do what you want but let us know if you have a cool story or like we said if you're a super scared mom yeah and if you like what you hear please rate and review and subscribe to the podcast because it really truly does help us and we would appreciate it yeah you can do it on like a bunch of platforms now you can do audible reviews um obviously itunes duh yeah uh, iTunes is the main one, I would say. I like can't even think of any other ones, but there's other ones. There are other ones. For sure. And we also just started a Patreon. We so. sure did. We've been teasing it a little bit in this episode, but if you would like to hear any of our additional thoughts on this topic, we will be talking about that on the after show. So join our Patreon and you can join us there. That's right. We do an after show after every show. We do. Except... If there's a two-parter, we're not going to do it in the middle. Yeah, we'll just do it all at the end. Yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so check us out there. It should be a super fun time. Speaking of the Patreon, uh, yes. we want to welcome our new Coven acolytes. Yes, we have new patrons. So welcome to the Coven, Lauren R. Welcome to Eric R. And Ashley, welcome. And Samantha P., what's up? Welcome. Thank you for joining our Patreon. We are so happy to have you. And if you want to send us anything spooky or a little love note or anything like that, you can mail us some fun little thingies. I just hit my microphone, so if this is jiggly, (laughs) I'm so sorry. But our P.O. box is 1212 in Desplaines, Illinois, 60017. We love opening that P.O. box, seeing some gifts, and also giving a big F you middle finger to our <laughs> post office that hates us. They love us. Sure. Let's stop it. Um, I guess 
remember to celebrate the strange. And if you have time, keep it unusual. Bye. Bye. And this is the part of the episode where we give praise to our all-knowing leaders, supporters of the podcast, and all-around benevolent beings. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. Lauren R., an explorer who once traveled into the hollow earth, but lost their phone on the way out, so has no way to prove it. Mike B., who frequently vacations in the Bermuda Triangle because they have the most delicious cocktails and the best wormhole water slides there. Spencer W., who is centuries old but keeps an enchanted painting of themselves in their attic that ages so they can remain looking youthful forever. Tim M., who was once abducted by aliens, returned home, and now invites their new friends, Moraxis and Ganthorks, to Thanksgiving every year. Kaylee O., who once dated a Hawaiian night marcher, but ended the relationship because they were never able to make dinner plans on the night of the full moon. And finally, Samantha P., who solved the Zodiac Killer cipher, like, I don't know, ten years ago in a dream, but when they woke up, they couldn't remember any of it. Tough break, babe. Thank you to all of our coven members on Patreon. If you would like to join our Patreon, please search Quite Unusual Pod on the Patreon website and check the link in the description of this episode. Do it. Or don't. But do. Bye. Bye. <laughs>